I want to speak to you today on the subject, he and all his family. He and all his family. Get your Bible, turn them to Acts chapter 10, and just keep it open there. And I want to talk about fatherhood. Talk about fathers and our heavenly father. I believe this will minister to your heart. Somebody said, I read the other day, that fathers spend the first part of a child's life urging him to talk and to walk, and then they spend the bulk of the rest of his life telling him to sit down and be quiet. A son in college wrote home to his dad. He said, and some of you can relate to this, Dear Dad, could I please... Uh, could you let me hear from you a little more often, even if it's just a five or a ten? <laughs> we need godly fathers. Can you say amen? Godly fathers are an incredible blessing and a gift from the Lord. They have a tremendous impact on their families. I'll not have time to cover very much of what impact that looks like but I want to talk about some of it. They're a blessing to society. They're salt, godly men, godly father men, and granddads and great-granddads are salt in a putrefied society. And we need them desperately in the times in which we live. Research done by the National Fatherhood Initiative tells us that one in four children today live in a home without a dad. 47% are more likely, if they don't have a dad in the house, to live in poverty. 19.5 million children in the United States live without a dad in the home. The three U.S. cities with the highest child abuse are Wilmington, Delaware, 63.5%. Detroit, 63.3%. Birmingham, 61.5%. But may I tell you that dads that are involved with their children raise and elevate and boost their children's emotional and spiritual and social well-being. And children with involved dads are less likely to be mistreated. There are so many more facts that are available, and I won't go take more time with that, but we can begin to see there's a pattern in our culture that's documented by the sociologist and the psychologist and the students of human behavior. The scripture has many examples that are helpful to us about men who faithfully fill the role of fatherhood. And there's one in Acts 10 that I want us to look at, and it'll be the foundational principle and the foundational example that I want to give you, but I'll give you some more as well. In Acts chapter 10, I'd like to look with you at the first eight verses of this particular chapter. It's a very important chapter in the Bible and in the book of Acts. Would you look with me at the first eight verses? At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family, now you see where the title of the message comes from. 
he and all his family. Say that with me, please. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had been, happened and sent them to Joppa. He and all his family. Now in verse 2, we learn about a lot about this man. And it will literally be a foundational structure for some of our thoughts. We know from verse 1, he was a ranking officer in the Roman military. An Italian officer. But what about his character? What about his inner man? What about the real Cornelius? Well, this shows up in verse 2, and that's why I want you to look carefully at it. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to the poor or to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. Now, as a reminder, the word devout means somebody that's dedicated, somebody that is committed, spiritual. They are religious-minded and prone, if you will. So we know this man was open to God. This man had a heart, was looking for God, and the Spirit knew that. We also see in this second verse that he was God-fearing. And that tells us that his thoughts and his desires were noble thoughts. You can't be a thinking person that's God-fearing and have dishonorable or unnoble thoughts. He was noble in his character, even though yet he was not born again. That's why God gave him a vision, because he was seeking after God. And we also read he was not a, a tight-fisted man. He was a generous man. He was a giver. How many would rather be a giver than a taker? Amen. Well, that's what this man was. He gave generously. He generously came. His generosity then arose out of his compassion. He gave to those in need. He saw people that were hurting. And then it wraps up by saying he prayed to God regularly. He's a man of prayer. I don't know how he learned to pray, how he knew how to pray, but he was seeking after God. I don't have to remind you there's a tremendous moral decline in our culture, in the times in which we live. There's so much confusion, so much uh, delusion that's running rampant all across America, not just in America, but in our world. Can you say amen to that? There's an article I ran across by a, a good friend of mine, B.J. Smith. And B.J. wrote this, and he titled it, A New Kind of Identity Crisis. He reminded us, and I checked, and it, 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 I fact-checked him, and Facebook <laughs> provides 58 
gender identity options for you. Did you know that? You can choose between 58 and one reference even said there's up to 71. And I got lost trying to read those and understand those. But he said, uh, they tell us the genders of male and female were assigned to us. And that we no longer have to be limited to the assigned identity that's imposed upon us at birth. He goes on to say, apparently they think God made them to be something else rather than what they were born to be. But my friend B.J. Smith said, God's not responsible for making anyone anything other than male and female. Because Genesis 1.27 says God created them male and female. It seems to me those are the two options that are on the table today. But be that it is may, I mean, it, it goes from there, and it seems it couldn't get any worse, but we're hearing now that the terms mother and the terms father are no longer acceptable. The term for mother is birthing parent, they say. Now, when you read that passage about the mother of Jesus, you're going to have to read it, and the Bible's going to have to be republished because it will need to say the birthing parent of Jesus or the gestational parent of Jesus. And if it's a father, you don't say father, they say. You say the non-birthing or the non-gestation. Can you see how silly and confusing this is all becoming? Can you see how the devil is having a heyday in a culture that has gone absolutely stone stupid? Are you with me this morning? And my wife always just freaks out when I use the word stupid, and it's not a good word. I don't say it in front of my grandchildren, so I shouldn't say it to you. I'm trying to impress on you, which I don't really feel the need to do, what times we are living in. And this underscores what I said earlier, that godly men, godly fathers are a blessing to our culture and are needed now more than ever, ever before. Thank you for that amen. Paul understood this even in his day in the spirit in that Arabian desert put on his heart as he waited before God and he saw the Lord and he was taken up into heaven. And he wrote then to Timothy, one of his sons in the faith. In chapter 3, verse 1, he describes, he said, you need to know this, my dear son Timothy. In the last days, there will be very difficult times for people will love only themselves and their money. They'll be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They'll be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They'll betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, love pleasure more than, than God. They'll act religious but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Sounds like some good advice from a godly father, doesn't it? And that's what Paul is giving. Thank God for godly fathers. I said, thank God for godly fathers. And if you are one, man, my brother, God bless you. We love you. We pray for you. We, we are needed, godly fathers and grandfathers. I see it more now with my own grandchildren than ever before, and I thank God they're in a Christian school. But even there, 
They need that father and grandfather influence. My, my own earthly father, Alvy Franklin Hanks, and my sister is here. Our dad was known as daddy to his children, and his, all his grandchildren called him Papa. And uh, each day of his life, I can tell you that both in public and in private, I, I, I say without fear of contradiction that my dad was consistent in his walk with God. And as I look back, I can see he modeled for me and for his other children what a father should be. He was strong. He was unwavering. And sometimes I would like for him to have been less strong and a little more wavering. I never understood until I became a father that line he always said when he and I went in a room alone, this hurts me more than it hurts you. But now I understand. And I'm blessed that he was faithful and he was unwavering and he was strong. We all have memories of our dads. Some are good, some are not so good. Some, as Pastor Josh said, you have just said goodbye to your dad. But my sisters and brothers are blessed to have the legacy of a godly father. April 21, 1986 is when dad went to be with the Lord 35 years ago. And I was tasked with preaching his funeral. Dad was only 73. When I see that now, he was just a kid. Yeah, and some of you will say amen on that. But Dad taught me many things. Lessons about life. Lessons about ministry. He was a pastor. Lessons about people. And some of the lessons he learned the hard way. Because he was strong. He was unyielding and unwavering. And some of those I distinctly remember as a teenager and found myself in my own heart saying, that's one thing I will never, ever be, and that's a preacher. I sure won't be a pastor. But God has other ideas, doesn't he? <laughs> Isn't Jesus wonderful? <laughs> my dad in his public life was one of those most faithful, dedicated pastors of his generation. Never a large, real large church, I think probably 150, 160 may have been the largest congregation he ever served. When I was one year old, he was pastor of Tomball, Texas, First Assembly of God. There's a thriving, strong church there now. I just visited with South Texas superintendent just a few days ago, and he was telling me about that church, and I told him that I have roots there. Dad pastored another church known as Red Oak Flat out in the country. That was actually the largest church. Farmers, uh, people worked in the oil field, they were members of that church. Where my sister was born, not at the church, but in the town of Jacksonville, not too far away. And that's where my, one of my brothers was born, Ray. Dad pastored the church in Athens, Texas, Alexandria, Louisiana, Dezetta, Texas, which is where he was when I left home. And then one more was at Jacinto City, and then another at Cuero. That was his final. 
those seven congregations, but I can visualize his ministry and experiences, and they taught me, they imprinted me, they spoke to me. In private, Dad was always the same as he was in public. There was only one A.F. Hanks, an authentic Christian man. And I can honestly say the distance between the New Testament model of a father and what I saw in my dad is very minimal. Dad lived that way. You say, you sure are putting him on a pedestal. Well, he was my dad. And you can do that with yours too if you want to. I hope you can. But I saw him, I remember him as being one of the most Christ-like men I ever knew. And so the Lord allowed him to go home. You see, I tell you that because for that reason and others, Father's Day is very special to me. And that's why I'm relishing this day. It's a very special day. I have the opportunity, the incredible opportunity to thank God, not only for the legacy of my earthly father, but I, I have the opportunity of thanking him for a real-life example that Dad gave me of what a father is or what he should be. And then that was what I tried and wanted to live out and tried my best to do. I can also say this, and I want to be very careful. I say it in the love of my heart. If I have been any blessing to you in the years that I've been part of your life and being here in this ministry and serving this church, may I tell you, some of that credit goes to Alvy Franklin Hanks, the dad who prayed for me, the dad who modeled Jesus before me. Is that okay for me to say that? And so you owe him a little bit today as well. And so I rise up and call him blessed. I rise up and honor him. There's so many different ideas today about our Father, our, our, our Father God, who God is, what God is like. May I just suggest a couple of these to you? The ancient Greeks version of God, they called him Zeus, and he was often sullen. He was moody. He was known to uh, spot his subjects and the objects of his wrath and zap them with a lightning bolt. That's where that is associated with Zeus. Buddhists don't believe that there is such a thing as a personal God. Hinduism's God, Brahman, uh, whom they believe, uh, he, they believe he created everything, but they believe he has no form. Uh, and as essentially, he just the universe and everything in it. Uh, the Muslims also believe that their God is Allah. And you hear a lot today about, well, Allah is the same as the God we say. Don't let anybody sell you that deception. Allah is not the same as the eternal, true, and living God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Are you hearing me this morning? Allah is not the divine trinity. And that's another message, but you get that in your heart. Allah is omniscient and all-powerful to Muslims. He's also inscrutable to them. He's also inaccessible to them. They also have part of their belief system that he is it's unknowable. It's not possible to know him personally. And for sure, it is not possible to have a relationship with him. And then the underlying truth about him, and they will admit it, is that he certainly is not a God of love. There's no love coming from Allah. 
Now, now I give you just that vignette or that, that brief uh, segment of, of belief systems. There are many, many more. But you compare that with Yahweh. You, put, you compare that with the God of the Bible, the revelation that we have in the eternal scriptures. Are you hearing me this morning, church? He, he is a God to be reverenced. He is a God to be feared. I'm not talking about terror. I'm talking about with sacred wonder. That's what that word fear means. We stand in awe and wonder at the, at the God whom we serve, who is our own heavenly Father. Hallelujah. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The Bible says the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the whole earth be silent in his presence. To a believer, God is not only the almighty God of, of, of angel armies. He's our very own father. He, he is the one who is the God of mercies. In fact, uh, Paul calls him the father of mercies in his Corinthian letter. He's the God of grace. He's the God of truth. He's the God of love. He's the God of comfort. He's the God of provision. And holiness is his crowning attribute. And love is the redeeming nature that God emits toward you and to me. That's why we can know him personally. And we can experience his love that is forever. Hallelujah. Oh, thank God we know the true and the living God. And he's our very own father. Amen. We see a very distinct New Testament picture of that fatherhood in Matthew 6. And Jesus gives this picture in a model prayer after the disciples had asked them, teach us to pray. And he said in verse 9, pray like this, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so the key to unlock these insights that he ex expresses here are in in, in that the key is in those two words, our Father. Would you say that with me? Our Father. Say it again, please. Our Father. We're talking about the eternal God. God not only wants us to think of him as Father, he, he, he really is pleased when we address him as Father. And we need to understand Jesus is not Father. And so when we pray, we don't pray Jesus' Father. No. The, there is a divine trinity. Jesus is the second person of the Godhead, the divine trinity. He's the son of God come in the flesh, and we beheld his glory. The spirit is, is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead. The father is the first person of the Godhead. The three are one, and we won't have time to go into the trinity today. But God wants us to address him as father when you pray. Pray to him, my father, our father, I come to you in the name of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, through the anointing and the power of your Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. It's vital that we learn that as part of our language, not just in our prayer, but as we talk. We're hearing a lot of new speak today. The language is changing daily. You can't even keep up with all of the nonsense. But the Bible teaches us the proper language as we address God, and he's our father. That's what the word of God is teaching us. I want to tell you, when we do call him father, and we address him as father, some incredibly amazing things happen. Let me just cite them for you quickly. Here's number one. 
when we say Father, when we address Him as Father, we express God's nature, the very nature of God. You see, a father is not something God is like. He's not like fathers. No, God is Father. You see the difference? God is our Father. Father is what God is. Get that in your spirit. Human fatherhood is patterned after divine fatherhood. And our earthly fathers give us insight into God's nature. However, unlike earthly fathers who come with frailties and shortcomings, our heavenly Father is all-wise. He's all-loving. He's all-knowing. He's omnipotent. Oh, hallelujah. I wish I had time more to talk about his attributes. But aren't you glad that your Father in heaven will never be considered an absentee Father? He's always with you. Many kids don't have a Father in their home today. But if you're a child of God, you have a Father who is with you 24-7. Hallelujah. He will never be an absentee Father. Here's what, the psalm, here's what the psalmist says. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. And since God is our Father, then the converse is also true. That makes you and me his very own child. Say that with me. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God because he's my very own Father. We're his children. We're adopted into his family. Paul was given great insight into this concept on, on this subject. Galatians beautifully describes and explains this in chapter 4. He said, when the time came to completion, God sent his son to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, that includes daughters too, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son, even, uh, and a son. Then God, as if you're a son, then God has made you an heir. Verse 7. Thank God. I just want to remind all of us, you're no longer a slave. It, yes, it's important that yesterday marked the, the uh, proclamation of emancipation. But, but look at your day of conversion. When you invited Jesus Christ into your heart and into your life. I want you to know from that day forward, you are no longer a slave. You celebrate the liberty that Jesus Christ has given you and made you free. You're not a slave. You're now a child of God. So many times doubts come, but I want you to tell that to your doubts. Tell that to your fears. I'm a child of God. Tell that to your uncertainties. I'm a child of God. Hallelujah. More importantly, tell that to the devil when he comes against you with fiery darts. I'm a child of God. Hallelujah. God is my very own Father. The true and the living God of the universe is your Father. And so when we say Father, we express His, nurture, His nature. But then when we do that, we embrace His nurture. The child of God is encouraged to live free from worry free from torment, free from anxiety. Take a, take a healthy family, and at dinner time, children of that family, do you think they're worrying about whether food is going to be on that table or not? Whether there's going, their dad's going to have enough money to buy groceries for them to eat that, that meal? 
My dad was sometimes a tent-making pastor. He worked at a sawmill when we lived at Red Oak Flat in the country. He bucked slabs at a sawmill. I didn't realize the significance of that. But the reason was, was dad recognized he was a father. And what he was receiving in the offerings from the church was not enough to take care of his family. And so he did whatever's necessary. I mean, I tell you, every godly father does this. Every child should recognize this is what my dad does. And so when you think about your earthly father, and if he did that, how much more is your heavenly father? No wonder the Bible says his, one of his names is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Hallelujah. He supplies all of our needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That's what Paul wrote in his letter. Hallelujah. God's promised to do that for you because you are his very own child. That's why Jesus said in that same Matthew chapter 6 where he gives that model prayer further down in verse 31, he said, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. He's got you in his hands, my friends, and that's more than a song. So, child of God, take comfort in the fact that God calls himself Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider. Now, let me give you one more, because when we embrace and address him as our father, we exalt his name. We exalt God's name. Immediately after Jesus invites us to address God as Father, he tells us and he exhorts us to pray, hallowed be thy name. That's an invitation to exalt the name of God. That means you don't go around just throwing his name around with slang or in uh, unimportant comments. You, you, don't, you don't misuse the name of God. In fact, our Jewish friends uh, count the name of God so sacred they'll not even write it completely. May I tell you or speak it? May I tell you there is, there is there's far too much disrespect for the use of the name of our Heavenly Father, for Almighty God in the culture in which we are a part. And so many people inadvertently just include it in slang language and in what they write on Facebook or, or their social media. May I tell you, we're called and given the privilege to exalt the name of God. Lift his name high above all because his name, he gives, he watches over his name. He exalts his name. Hallelujah. And we are invited to exalt it as well. We should never use it lightly. Now, instead, the scriptures encourage us to reverence his name. Each of the names of God in the Bible are used to describe certain characteristics of his nature. We talked about his nature before, but even, even names are given for that. Uh, here are some in the Old Testament. God's referred to as El Shaddai, the mighty God. And uh, he's also referred to as El Elyon, the most high God. That's one of the names of God. Jehovah Sidkenu, our righteousness. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals us. Hallelujah. Our healing God. Jehovah Shalom. And this is the peace of God. The Lord our peace. There are many more in the Old Testament. You're, you're aware of these. Uh, but they're, 
there's a name that is introduced to us in this passage we read that Jesus uses and Paul uses. In fact, Romans 8, verse 18, or verse 15, Paul said, you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, say it with me, Abba, Father. This is the name in the New Testament, Abba, Father. Solomon reminds us the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run into it and are safe. I, I, I know I don't need to tell you that our awesome God is worthy to be exalted. I said he's worthy to have his name lifted up on high. And yet it, 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 it helps all of us to have our memories stirred up, doesn't it? And so that's what I'm doing this morning. Let that come back on the front burner of your life to exalt the name of God. Hallelujah. And you see, friends, as children of the king, we not only exalt him and his name with our words and in our prayers, but may I tell you, you exalt his name by the way you live, by your lifestyle, by your attitudes, by your speech, by your habits, by what you do and what you don't do. That also honors the most high God. Hallelujah. And I must tell you, he's calling you and me to do that as a child of God, as members of God's family. His name now becomes part of our own name. And whatever we do, if it's good, it, then it exalts his name. If it is not good and it has evil in it, then it's a reflection on the name of Almighty God. And so my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will so tenderize each one of us and that our conscience will be so keen that we'll walk in fear and humility before God that in everything we do and that all we say we'll live in integrity and in a way that magnifies and glorifies and exalts the name of Jesus, yes, even without having said a word by the way we live, by what other people see in our life. Can you say amen to that? Hallelujah. My earthly father, I've told you a lot about this morning, but I look back on him and I, I have to say, he, he tried to demonstrate that wonderful relationship with God. I love the way Pastor Adrian Rogers expressed it about you and me being a child of God and him being our very own father. He said, we have the family likeness to wear. Come on, read it out loud with me. We have the family likeness to wear, the family loyalty to share, and the family name to bear. You call yourself a Christian, then this is what you have on you. And what a privilege. Amen. Are you glad you're a child of God? Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. So let me encourage you today. Let the example of Cornelius in Acts 10, verse 2, especially you men, but not just men, all of us, let this be a challenge to you. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. I'm glad he ended with that because how many know God answers prayer? There are a lot of answered prayers to godly dads 
sitting in this room this morning. Did you hear what I said? I want you to think about that. Because old dad prayed, some of you are here this morning, not in hell or living out in sin somewhere. It's because a godly father did what Cornelius did, prayed regularly. Two friends of mine have always blessed me. I've known them for a number of years. I knew their dad. And I've heard this story about him, and it always blessed me, and I'm going to share it with you and we wrap up. Both of them are in the ministry. Both of them I serve with on the district presbytery, and I served on the executive presbytery with them. Darius and Elwin Johnston, they had a father. His name was Leon. And growing up, somehow he got tagged with a nickname, Pug. <laughs> I don't know if it's because he fought a lot. I don't know. They called him Pug. But as he grew up and he had a family, he loved to pray. He, 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 Cornelius didn't have anything on him. In fact, he prayed regularly every morning. And he would get up early before the family and he'd start praying. And when he got to praying, he got anointed to pray. He, he didn't know where the volume switch was. And he'd get loud and he'd get louder. And you could hear him in any room in the house. And this went on and on. And finally, one, one day his wife went to him these guys' mother, and said, Leon, I, I, I'm so grateful that you, you pray. You pray for your church. You pray for the family. You pray for your sons, your daughter. Pray for me, your loved ones, the work of God. I'm, I'm grateful, but I'm wondering, you suppose you could find somebody else or someplace else to pray? You're waking up everybody in the house. You're disturbing our sleep, and it's early in the morning, and kids got to go to school, and on and on. He told them. She told him. Well, he was doing secular work at the time, not a full-time pastor himself, uh, doing plumbing work. And he went down the street, and there was a, an Assemblies of God church there. And he, he contacted the pastor of that church and told him his dilemma and said, I wonder, would you mind if I had a key that I could just come in early? I won't bother anything. I just need a place to pray. And so the pastor gave him a key, and so that's what he did. Every morning he'd go, and, and, and Leon Johnson would go pray in that church for his family, for his boys. They were just little old kids. But God heard those prayers. God answered those prayers. And I've already told you now, both those sons are in the ministry. One is a pastor down in, in, uh, near, near, near uh, uh, Cleburne, or near Colleen. He's, it's actually in Temple. I'll get it right. He's, he's a pastor in Temple. But he's, uh, he's one of our executive presbyters, Elwin. His brother... Uh, Darius is a pastor, would you believe, of that very church where his dad was given a key to go pray? He's been there over 30 years now and has grown that church from a little small handful to a large church that has several campuses now and greatly involved in missions. And in fact, I'll tell you one more thing. Last week at our district council, he was elected to take my place because I asked the district council not to consider my name as general presbyter anymore after 21 years, 22 years actually, of serving as a general presbyter. And he was elected by the district council to follow and to fill that place. And it was all because they had a daddy who got up early in the morning. Are you hearing me this morning, dad? 
Are you listening to me this morning? God hears your prayers, and it may take years. You may not see the fruit of it for way down the line, but don't give up. Keep praying. Pray regularly. Walk devoutly. Walk in the fear of God and exalt the name of God and let him provide for you and your family. And I want to tell you, it doesn't matter what's going on in our culture or our society. God will keep you. He'll keep your wife. He'll keep your kids. He'll walk by your side because he's our very own father. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Somebody ought to say amen. Yes. I'd like every dad in the house to stand. I'd like every dad, every granddad who's here in the house to stand. You who are with us online or by internet, if you want to stand up at the house, you can do that. Where you are, wherever you're. Don't stand up in the car if you're driving, if you're listening on your phone. But uh, come on, men, stand up. I want to see you. I want to see your face. And come on down here. I want to see you up close and personal this morning. I want to bless you. I just want to pray over you. And I want to bless you this morning. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. God is so good. Look at this. Oh, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Come on up close. Make room for everybody. Make room for all of these guys. Come on down, Bill. We'll wait for you. Praise the Lord. Now, some of these guys are not dads yet. Some of them are. And, uh, well, we, we, I want to, is there any more men here? Come on, men. You join with us, even if you're not a dad. Come on down. Yes. Come on down. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Bless the name of the Lord. So when we, when we are comfortable with calling him Father, we express his nature. We embrace his nurture that he's going to take care of us. And we exalt his name. Thank God. Ladies and others of you who are seated, would you like to stand in the reverence of this moment? What, a, what an incredible group of men. Men, I think you would agree with me. We live in a time when, when, when it would be proper to say, may, may all godly men rise up and take a stand. May all godly men stand up and be counted. May all godly men live like Cornelius, hallelujah, and walk close to God. Is that your prayer today? As a father, that's what I want. That's what I want more than ever before. As a grandfather, I want my grandkids to remember something about their poppy that they can't get away from. They'll never be able to escape, no matter how old God allows them to get. They'll remember that. I remember my grandfather, both of them, but one of them especially, and he was a Cornelius. I lived with him a whole summer. I'm telling you, you didn't go to bed till you got on your knees, and Grandpa Hanks prayed, and you could hear it. The walls kind of shook a little, but he prayed. Men, let's be men of God. Amen? Are you comfortable with taking another man by the hand, standing down here? If you are, if you're not, it's okay. But if you are, go ahead and take him by the hand. God's going to hear our prayer this morning. You who are at your seat today, young people, moms, grandmothers, whoever you are, put your right hand out toward them. Rep let that represent you, the finest blessing you can release on these men. These are godly men. They're here because they want to obey God. They're here because they want to please God. Now, Father, in the name of Jesus, I join with these ladies who are at their seat, and I join my heart with these men. And I bless them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I thank you because they've stepped forward today acknowledging that they want you to be their Father and that their very life and all of their speech would embrace you as their Father. 
recognizing that they are your very own child. Oh, Lord, I pray that you'll help them to constantly and ever depend on you, never doubting that you will supply all of their needs according to your riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that their very life will be a testimony that results in exalting your name wherever they go, at work, in their neighborhood, our places of pleasure and entertainment. It will be seen. This is a child of God. This is a man of God. He has the hand of God on his life. I pray this over these men today, Lord. I pray if there is even one of them who is not where he should be with you today, that in this altar area right now, you're helping him take care of that, Lord. You're getting him back where he belongs. You're restoring and renewing fellowship and relationship with you, covered by your love, by your mercy, by your grace, by your forgiveness, and then a release of your strength to live as a man of God and please you. We thank you, Father. We bless them in the name of Jesus. And we ask that you will walk with each of us. Our times demand it, Lord. We don't have time to play games. It's time to trust the Lord and to be faithful to you. And we love you, Father. We bless your name. Come on, let's give praise to the Lord. Let's thank him for answering prayer. Hallelujah, hallelujah.